0: He was too far gone, he had lost the newsroom too much, and he had also not demonstrated at all in his first year that he could actually create good TV.
1: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, June 8th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about the biggest story in media this week, the firing of Chris Licht from CNN. Dylan broke the story on Wednesday, of course, and he's got all the angles. Was that devastating Atlantic profile the final straw for Lick's boss, David Zaslav? Or should we have seen this coming for months with CNN rank and file complaining about Lick's management style and programming decisions? And finally, who in TV news would even want this not very attractive job that's just opened up at the top of what used to be the most trusted name in news? We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Thursday everybody the big media news this week obviously was broken by Dylan Byers who joins me now and this news comes on the heels obviously of that really really long Atlantic profile by <laughs> Tim Alberta about Lick's uh, management issues at CNN all of the grousing that was going on and you know Brian Stelter tweeted uh, on Wednesday after this Chris Lick news happened Things have been bad for a long, long time. The Atlantic took the secret and put it out into the world. He was quoting someone else in CNN Universe. But I got to stand up for my colleague, Dylan Byers, who's literally been reporting this stuff in real time for about a year. Uh, you've been driving the story just as you drove the story around Jeff Zucker's exit from CNN over a year ago, Dylan. Thank you for joining me. That was a long windup. So let's get right into it. Was the Atlantic profile... The deal breaker here was that the thing that pushed Zaslov over the edge? And, and you know, after having Licks back publicly through the CNN town hall, through management issues, through the morning show thing, through the Don Lemon thing, through Jake Tapper going to primetime and back, etc. 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 Was it Tim Alberta that finally pushed him over the edge?
0: Yes, it, it, it might you could argue that it was the straw that broke the camel's back. You had, as you and I have discussed, uh, again going back 13 months. You had this very brief period where there was some goodwill toward Chris Licht right when he came in, and then you had sort of almost immediately after that, frustrations with certain decisions he made, and we, we've cataloged them many times. Uh, we don't need to go over them all, but that sort of built over time, and there were the layoffs and then the programming failures, and so many of the the talent, the, you know, the hosts, correspondents, rank and file... Lost faith with Chris Lick a long time ago. Mm -hmm. When did it become so bad that they felt one that they felt compelled to speak out about it and that the, the sort of implosion was so such an embarrassment that it became impossible for David Zaslav to ignore? I would argue there were a few things that made that happen. One was certainly the Trump town hall which really angered a lot of people. And that's when you start to see people sort of break out. You see Oliver Darcy, the media reporter over there, channeling the internal frustrations in his own CNN newsletter. You see Christiane Amanpour speaking out publicly at Columbia Journalism School. And Mm -hmm. privately, too, people are starting to convey their frustrations, very high-level anchors, the ones who really wield the power over there. And Mm -hmm. at the the same time, there's a recognition – far ahead of the town hall or the Tim Alberta piece that Zaslav was misguided in tasking executive producer to run the business of CNN. And they started more than two months ago, started a search to bring in someone to basically handle the business for him Mm -hmm. under the belief that he could then focus on what he should have been doing all along, which is programming and building relationships with the talent. That was, in retrospect, that was never going to work because he he was too far gone. He had lost the newsroom too much, and he had also not demonstrated at all in his first year that he could actually create good TV. But then, by the time this Tim Alberta piece in the Atlantic finally lands, it is so catastrophically bad for Chris Licht, and and it is so catastrophically bad by nobody's fault but his own, right? There there are a lot of conspiracies that Chris Lick seems to have had about who was trying to undermine him. And, you know, I think that we at Puck lived rent-free in his head. I think certainly his predecessor, Jeff Zucker, lived rent-free in his head. I think he's probably angry at the way that Tim Alberta handled the article. But fundamentally, what Tim Alberta did is he gave him a lot of rope and he hung himself with it. And the reason that piece became so crucial is because that coupled – with Warner Brothers Discovery's decision to hand over the business to one of David Zaslav's direct reports, opened up a channel for all of the anchors and the, and the correspondents to voice their frustrations directly to the parent company. And those frustrations were they did not hold back, shall we say. And so I think it became very clear, very fast to Warner Brothers Discovery and to David Zaslav, that they had an un- untenable situation and that at a certain point, th- there was no version where they could keep Chris Licht in.
1: Yeah, the Wall Street Journal, I think, reported, I mean, you've obviously reported this too, that you know, Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper, two of the most signature names to that network. And, and also, by the way, like emblems of really what Zaslav, Chris Licht, and probably John Malone wanted from the network, which was more like down the line journalism and less hair on fire punditry, you know, they voiced concerns about Chris's management style. It sounds like from your reporting, they just thought he was in over his head. I'm curious, though, you know, speaking of John Malone and Zaslav, who have been public about this, they wanted Lick to implement a more centrist, less reflexively left, less anti-Trump version of the network to go back to what CNN was before Jeff Zucker came along and, and turned it into the Trump circus all the time. Is that going to be the mandate continuing moving forward under uh, interim leadership? Amy Antellis, Eric Sherling, Virginia Mosley—all internal people and people who've been at CNN for, you know, in in Eric's case, almost twenty years. Uh, yeah. Or is it going to be back to the Zucker model of television?
0: No, in terms of the editorial posture, the con- I, I, the conviction has not changed. It was the the, the mm-hmm. faith in Chris Licht to execute the gotcha. uh, the editorial vision changed, but no, I, I think fundamentally they want the network to be what they have articulated, which is something that that is not reflexively partisan and that welcomes viewpoints from. All sides of the political spectrum. And, I, you know, I think David Taslov usually says both sides. I think he would do himself a big favor to not say both sides, but to say all sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, certainly heading into what is going to be a very chaotic uh, election season, they think there is still going to be a market for that. I think what you are going to see, and, and this in some ways is at least an attempt to return to some aspect of the Zucker years, is what were they doing wrong? What 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 so alienated the staff and depleted morale? One, Chris Licht was always managing up to David Zaslov. He was never he, he never established the relationships, let alone the trust. Um, and rapport with the people who are working for him. So taking care of the talent, making sure that the talent is happy mm-hmm. uh, is going to be a very big priority. And then second, despite his reputation as a great executive producer, Chris like, never really made good TV at CNN. And so, and the ratings went down because of it. I think that the other thing is to do is yes, you can be, you can operate from the sort of political center, but Don't forget that you are a television network and that you need to give people a reason to watch you and watch you with regularity. And I think that is going to be a focus now, too. The big question I have is actually... Will they articulate any sort of vision for figuring out what CNN is going to be in the long term, which is to say in a post-linear future, right? Is there yeah. a digital strategy? Is there any sort of a streaming strategy? Obviously, they killed off CNN Plus on day one. They have not really invested in doing anything substantive for the the website or the app or anything like that. It's it's pretty much looks like it makes the messenger look good. So... I think what they're recognizing now is all this lofty rhetoric about saving American journalism and American democracy is all well and good, but you actually have to run this business in a a way that actually gets the the user, the consumer, the voter to engage with it. And so I think that and talent relations are going to be priorities number one and two.
1: You know, if there's one thing I think Chris Licht was right about, uh, it was his suspicions that Jeff Zucker was uh, (laughs) trying to be a puppet master behind the scenes and and fuck with him remotely. That sort of became clear in the process of reading the Tim Alberta profile, the Ben Mullen piece, the New York Times, (laughs) your stuff. Uh, You know, is Zucker going to back away now? I mean, like Kenny Lair had a quote in the New York Times and he was just saying this is this is really sad for Jeff. He needs to move on. Is he finally going to move on?
0: <laughs> my read on that was slightly different. And, you know, there's there's a passage in the Tim Alberta opus in which he talks about how Chris Lick sort of assumes that Jeff Zucker is out there trying to undermine him and that he is like pushing all of the negative coverage. Conceivably, he believes he's pushing my coverage, too. I would say that uh, I think my 13 months of reporting on Chris Lick's tenure um, yeah, and you know. the the incredible amount of sources I've been speaking with uh, would suggest that really the fire was coming from everywhere. Look, I think it's impossible to tell this story without thinking about the relationship between the, the current, or I should say now, the previous regime and the previous, previous regime. And that a lot of that is the fault of circumstance, but also of Chris Lick's own making, right? I mean, one, Jeff Zucker was sort of famously defenestrated, you know, no small part because he had a relationship with a subordinate, but in a way that I think probably left him feeling a grave sense of injustice and like he probably wanted back in the building. I think that's probably true. At mm-hmm. the same time, Chris Licht came in and like immediately started making not so thinly veiled attacks on on Jeff Zucker's tenure, and by extension, on the work that a lot of the journalists had yeah. been doing during that time. And so I think it's certainly set up this dynamic where I don't think Jeff Zucker probably wished Chris Licht any, you know, any, had, had any goodwill toward Chris Licht. I don't think Chris Licht had any goodwill toward Jeff Zucker. But to me, what is so fascinating about that dynamic is the extent, is the obsession on Chris Licht's part with this idea that there was people out there trying to undermine mm-hmm. him like mm-hmm. there, there's so many reasons perhaps why he never actually got about to doing good work to creating successful television or articulating a sound business strategy but one of them surely has to be that he was just so distracted by this fear that he was yeah. one not going to fill Jeff Zucker's shoes in the eyes of the talent and in the eyes perhaps of the press and then to just this this paranoia I think that whether it was whether warranted or not, was just probably like not how the executive of a global 24-7 media organization should be spending their time.
1: Yeah, it's hard to be a leader and driving the ball forward when you're looking over your shoulder all the time externally, not to mention internally. Um, I want to take a quick break, Dylan, and ask you next, who might be in the chair after Chris Licht? This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The evening standard raves The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking. I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy, with factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So, what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two minute meals, fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed So sign up and save, head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to the powers that be everyone. We're talking CNN, Dylan, Amy and Tellis uh, who preceded Jeff Zucker and, you know, engineered some of the. Documentary style programming that was a hit at CNN and is a hit. Anthony Bourdain, chief among them, Virginia Mosley, who was brought on by Jeff Zucker, I think, back in 2013 when he arrived at the network. She's going to be an interim leader, and so is Eric Sherling, who was my old senior producer on the Situation Room when I worked there way back in the day. Eric actually, <laughs> um, I think it was EP, uh, gave me my first BlackBerry, and I was I was very grateful that he gave his junior <laughs> staffer a BlackBerry. We were all addicted back in the early to mid 2000s. All three of these people are really well liked within the ranks. And I think this was like a smart decision. You know, I advocated on this podcast a while back that Amy and Tellis should have the job in the first place. (laughs) But, you know, she's good with talent. Virginia's good with talent. Eric's good with talent. They understand how the sausage is made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They understand the business. Are any of these three people going to be the next head of CNN? Or is there going to be another external search for a leader?
0: I think the word in, interim is very important here, and I, I would note, you know, that I've learned that using the word beloved to describe any any leader is dangerous because <laughs> did I say has beloved? Their, I might. Yeah, no, I no, no, that. no. no every, everyone has their. Everyone has their champions and their and their detractors, and, and certainly yeah, um, yeah. all of these people inspire feelings, uh, various feelings. <laughs> What I would say is that these are three people who have been at the organization for a long time, who predate Chris Licks, predate Warner Brothers Discovery, and at least are are some of the last three high-ranking people there who really understand how how the sausage gets made and how to make the sausage, and that Mm -hmm. is really, really important, and certainly in Amy and Tellus you have someone who who is known as the sort of talent whisperer, right? Who certainly at least at the highest levels takes care of the talent and makes sure they're happy and and as I said, that's a really important piece of this. You know, I, I think in terms of can any one of these people become the permanent CEO? I don't think so. I think Eric Sherling is like it's just a programmer who's really good at sort of like bearing down and doing the work um, maybe maybe at the direction of a CEO.
1: On that note, just to interrupt, I remember speaking to his work ethic when I was he was literally Eric, the he was a senior producer, or executive producer, I forget which at the Situation Room in like 2005, 2006. A hard job. <laughs> you work all the time in cable news, especially for a show that just started. He went to Georgetown Law Night School on top of that. Crazy work ethic. That <laughs> that's guy.
0: amazing. I think I found that Virginia is actually more of a polarizing figure, at least based on my reporting, that there are a lot of people in D.C. and politics who really, really uh, like her and would celebrate her ascent. And then there are people sort of broad, more broadly at the organization who might not. I think that's right. I think in Amy, tell us you have somebody who is Incredibly experienced, uh, does have a lot of champions in the organization, but is also 72 and probably not going to stick around the organization Mm. forever. I think what David Zaslav is going to do this time is the thing that he should have done probably two years ago, which is actually conduct a formal search, right? Hire a corn fairy recruitment firm and go out there and do the research and figure out who the right person for this job is. Is and then interview some candidates who actually have some experience rather than just sort of deciding that Chris Licht has a good reputation as a programmer yeah. and you, and you kind of like him and then and you think he'll execute your vision and maybe take the heat for layoffs and budget cuts and, and just throw him into a position for which he is not qualified. I think they're going to be more responsible this time around. I think what's most interesting to me here is what kind of person are they looking for? You would think. That given the trends in the industry, you would want to look for someone who could update CNN for the digital age in a way that, like, the New York Times went from being, like, a print-focused publication to a digital, multi-platform-focused publication. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, these guys are discovery guys, and they they still live in the world of cable and linear television. And Mm -hmm. so I do think they're going to look for a more seasoned veteran hand. And then, of course, the all-important question becomes... Who is someone who is capable of doing this, but also actually wants this job after everything that CNN has been through? And is that, you know, Chris Licht was extremely deferential to David Zaslav. Is the mm-hmm. right leader for this job going to be someone who's who's willing to be so deferential to, to, to Zaslav and to Warner Brothers Discovery? And also who, like, let's be honest, is probably going to have to implement more cuts, just given the the downward decline of, of the industry generally, if they want to keep making money off this thing. So I, I think it's gonna be a very hard search finding that yeah. Venn diagram of capable leader who actually wants this job in this time, after after everything that's happened in the last year. That's gonna be a tall order.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I talked about this with Lauren Sherman earlier this week on the pod about Edward Enenful sort of taking on a more like consultant role at at British Vogue. And, you know, people are saying like he was forced out or like he, you know, couldn't run Vogue in the US because Anna Wintour is is blocking him. And it's like, who really wants to do that? Like who wants to step in from the outside and take over these declining legacy media brands? Like it's maybe a good notch in your belt, but you know, like you're managing thousands of people revenues are down, eyeballs are down. It's hard to imagine who would want to step in and take that job unless it was some like management consultant, like Bain, right. BCG type. <laughs> the last thing I want to ask you is you, you tweeted yesterday when all this was going down and I assume you're going to be tweeting through the next iteration of the CNN story. Uh, it's not over. No, it's not. You tweeted, Chris Licht comms chief, Chris Karate cleaned out her office last night and has told staff she expects to leave. Veteran CNN PR guru Matt Dornick is also likely out.
0: They are, in fact, now both out.
1: They are, in fact, both out. Okay, so Chris Karate came from The Washington Post to CNN less than a year ago, last summer, you know, and it was like announced in Deadline and Adweek and all these things. Like that was a splashy hire from The Washington Post. She's out. Dornick's been there for a very long time. He was a Zucker guy and then sort of decided to go all in and be a licked guy. My question around all of this is, I got so many texts from people who are not in politics, who are not in media, just friends, who read the Tim Alberta piece and were like, who green-lighted this? Like, this is a disaster. Like, who, do you know who, like, gave the green light to him to have like all of this access going to the gym with him and his trainer in the mornings, sitting in with him for all of these hours for months and months on end. I mean, that seems in hindsight, like a bit of a disaster. And look, it needs to be said, like at the end of the day, this stuff gets approved by Chris Licht, you know, regardless of
0: what the comms team says. That's really a salient point. And look, Yes, this will be a black mark on the reputations of both Karate and Dornick, because at the end of the day, that's the job. But PR people are really, I think, as as, um, Peter Kafka pointed out on Twitter, PR people are a reflection of of their bosses. Mm. And this was Chris Lick's decision. Maybe he didn't conceptualize it. He might have. But at the end of the day, he was in on this. He was in on this idea that if I just give... You know, because this was at a time when I think we were already covering him pretty consistently and and critically. You know, if I can just get a journalist in the building with me and (laughs) in the gym with me, apparently, (laughs) they will see that what in fact is happening here is I am saving journalism and I am revolutionizing journalism, which is really something Chris Lick thought he was doing. And I think that Tim Alberta might have actually shown up open minded to that conceit. Yeah. But he spent so much time working on the piece, and in the course of that, so many things went wrong. And Chris Lick showed who he was to Tim Alberta, and what Tim Alberta saw was in Chris Lick was not what Chris Lick saw in Chris Lick. What he saw was somebody who lacked self awareness, who was a little too who who was managing up as opposed to managing the organization, and who had who had failed to articulate a vision or achieve any successes. He in fact saw what I had been seeing for 13 months, and in addition, Chris Licht gave him all of these really cringeworthy quotes um, and vignettes that just, I think, totally drove the point home. So did Chris Karate screw up? Sure. Did Matt Dornick screw up in a few ways? For sure. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, this failure belongs, belongs to no one but Chris Licht.
1: Yeah, and you're right that Tim Alberto is probably a sympathetic character here. Like, I think he's a really good journalist who's had a sensitive ear to Republicans and and people who voted for Trump out there without being like necessarily like anti woke or whatever. And he probably right. theoretically Tim was like rooting for the zaslov Chris licked mission. You could tell. I mean, in parts of the piece, he was he was unsparing when it came to Zucker's era at CNN as well, but. It certainly sounds like reading that piece that there was just too much (laughs) Uh, (laughs) moving in the opposite direction for him not to write it. Dylan, uh, bravo on driving (laughs) CNN news coverage once again. Everyone else is chasing you on this stuff. It's pretty obvious at this point. And we'll keep reading you probably today, Jesus. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.